0: Sovereign in the mountain air Sovereign on the ocean floor with me in the calm
1: with me in the Good morning, Grace Church. Glad to be here together today. We are in God's uh, design and by His grace, a Christ-centered community, intent on proclaiming the gospel. And making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus with our lives. We love the truth. We want to live it. I want to welcome all that are new to Grace today. And if it's your first time, we'd love to meet you. And we have a gift for you at our Welcome Center outside. If you're joining us online, I want to give you a warm welcome. Thank you for being with us today. And today, my good friend Mike Yoder, who is the Executive Director of Encompass World Partners, will be preaching all three services. And it's timed perfectly with the the day that we're having our Patty Morris uh, Missionary Celebration at 1230 today. So it's good to have Mike here. He and his wife, Letitia, have been married for almost 30 years. Uh, They have four kids, ranging in age from 24 down to 16. Uh, He pastored most recently pastored in Columbus, Ohio. For almost 12 years and previously served with Encompass for 15 years, 10 of those years in Berlin, Germany. So good to have you here. Uh, We also have uh, Ted and Caitlin Offit, some of our missionaries with Encompass as well. They're here today uh, sharing an update on their ministry in the Life Builders class actually as we speak. And so they're over in A1, but great to have all of them with us today. I want to invite you to stand with me. Uh, for the call to worship, I'll be reading Psalm 105, verses one to five. Psalm 105, and beginning at verse one: "O oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, sing to Him, sing praises to Him, till of all His wondrous works, glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice." Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he uttered. And Lord, we thank you and praise you uh, for your presence here with us today. Uh, We thank you for your kindness in gathering us, your greatness in holding all things together by the word of your power We pray that you would grant us to worship you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength today, that you would be honored in our gathering as you work in and through us, and that you would save and sanctify as you will. And we pray in Christ's name, amen.
0: Amen. Would you remain standing and join us as we begin by singing Rejoice? walking with us still turning tragedy
1: Please be seated and I want to invite up Timothy Maw and the rest of the deacons as well as any pastors or elders that are in the service second hour here. It's an exciting day in the life of Grace Church. We have our Patty Morris celebration at 1230, 40 years of faithful service, but it's always a joy to bring on new leaders as God transforms us by the gospel and empowers us to serve Jesus Um, Last time we did this, we had the privilege of commissioning three new elders and four new deacons. Today, we commission one new deacon, Timothy Ma, right here, as well as we're praying for the rest of you as well, all the deacons and deaconesses that serve. Uh, Jesus blesses his church by giving uh, in his one body gifts to serve in various roles. And our leadership structure is based on the New Testament leadership structure of elders and deacons. Uh, As you know, in the New Testament, the elder, overseer, pastor, shepherd is uh, referring to the same office, biblically qualified men, who are called to shepherd the flock and preach the word and administer the ordinances and, and exercise church discipline and equip the body for works of service. And then in the New Testament, you also have deacons, men and women, called to assist the elders in the care of God's church. That's who we're praying for today, and they serve and meet practical needs in the church and ministers of mercy and compassion and and so on. And so today, we have the privilege to pray for Tim Ma, but also the ministry team that he joins. Uh, It's comprised of Jack Hansen and Susan Clark, uh, Kim Durflinger, Judy Licata, Landon Martin, Pat Monroe, Karen Audison, uh, Kristen Radmilovich, Steve Skelly, and Peter Woodson, many of well, I think most or all of them are behind me here. But Tim, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, do you commit to assist the elders in the care of God's church? Yes, and will you do so and do everything you can to serve the Lord with gladness as you serve him and his people? Yes. All right. I ask the congregation, uh, do you uh, commit to praying for Tim and all of our deacons and deaconesses and assist them and come alongside them as they serve the Lord and you? Yes. All right, then. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for your goodness to us and calling us into fellowship with yourself and equipping us to serve your church. We thank you, Lord, for these who are so eager, so willing uh, to serve as deacons. I think of Tim and Jack and Susan, Kim and Judy and Landon and Pat and Karen and Kristen and Steve and Peter and uh, their lives among us, the blessing that they are to us, and I pray that you would lead them. Continue to guide them and protect them, provide for them as they serve you uh, by your grace and for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Thanks all of you. All right, I want to ask you now to find Romans chapter 1 in your Bibles and stand with me in honor of God and his inspired and inerrant and infallible word. I'm going to read Romans chapter 1 verses 1 to 6. What Mike will be preaching in just a few moments. We begin at Romans chapter 1, verse 1. This is the Word of God. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. This is God's word, and please be seated. As I pray now, I'm going to remember the sovereign God and his work in and through us as we we bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for your greatness, for your glory. You are great and greatly to be praised. You are awesome. You are awe-inspiring. You are beautiful. You are compassionate. You are the determiner of all things. You're excellent, eternal, faithful, forgiving. Um, it's only because of you that we can follow you who alone are good and, and great and glorious and gracious. We thank you, Lord, that you gave us your inspired, inerrant, infallible word. You have, you have exalted above all things your name and your word, and we praise you. You are most merciful, magnificent, you are never-ending in perfection, and you sent the righteous, sin-bearing, sovereign Savior of the Lord Jesus Christ, who took upon his very self the weight of our exceeding sin, so that he could shower us with exceedingly great mercy and grace, that we would even be zealous for your glory. But even then, Lord, we admit today, we come today and we admit we have disobeyed you. We have transgressed. We have done what displeases you. We have done what grieves you. We have sinned against you and we need your forgiveness. We need the cleansing blood of Christ and we thank you, Lord, that we can confess our sins knowing that you dealt with our sin at the cross and that Jesus, your cross work, your finished work, buys our freedom. And so, Lord, in mercy... Take away the misery that our sin brings upon us and brings upon others. And thank you, Lord, for the assurance of forgiveness in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for that good and perfect gift. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to life, that you, you first loved us, that you chose us before the foundation of the world, and that from heaven you came and sought us, regenerating us, causing us to be born again. You gave us faith to believe. You gave us an inter- eternal inheritance. And we praise you, we thank you, Lord, even for the, the joy of having a relationship with you. How, how you renew our hearts and our minds by your word, by your spirit, and that you, you show us uh, your revealed truth. You shed the light, that we would op- you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your word. You who are the truth. You've given us fellowship with you as as we obey your word. I pray, Lord, that you would make our lives a worshipful response to the revelation of yourself. You who judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. By your word, Lord, purify our motives. Purify our ambition that it would be to please you, that we would keep seeking the city that has foundations, that you are the architect and builder of. As we live in these jars of clay, Lord, I pray that you would... You would cause us even to seek your comfort, even in every time of pain. And Lord, I pray that you would lift up those who are beaten down, that are distressed, that are downcast, that are depressed or despairing. That you would give assurance of hope, that you would bring help and healing in hearts and homes. And Lord, that you would grant us generous hearts. To, to contribute cheerfully, sacrificially to the support of this ministry, that we would commit our resources and gifts that you have given to us to you. Lord, we, we rejoice in new life. And we thank you, Lord, that, that Samuel and Kirsten Anselmo we were able to welcome Josiah David this week. Pray that you would bless them. You would bless, bless uh, Grandma and Grandpa Tracy and Tom and Great-Grandma Nancy and the rest of the family. And Lord, that you would help us all to live a life worthy of the calling that you've given us in Christ. I pray for those among us who don't believe. I pray that you would open their hearts to the gospel message. And I pray that you would empower all who preach the gospel. I pray that you would bless Ted and Kaylin Offit in their work with Encompass. I pray that you would bless the Masters Academy International and their training up leaders across the globe to shepherd God's people. I pray for the solid churches in our fellowship in this community. I pray for Villa Bible Church and Rob Currington as he preaches today and Cornerstone Bible Church and Josh Mack as he preaches. Pray for Mike Yoder as he preaches today here, that you would give him freedom as he opens up the word. And above all, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in the proclamation of your word, that our response would be one of faith and repentance and obedience. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: If you're able, would you stand and join us as we sing Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance, Jesus' is We thank you for your great love for, that, for your people. We ask that even through this time and through the ministry of this p- church, more and more people here and to the ends of the earth would be invited into that, that great love. We thank you for the word that's about to be brought. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Well, good morning, Grace Church of Orange. It is a delight to be with you, especially in late January coming from the Midwest, where you have served up not only normal, but better than normal weather, I hear. That is especially good for someone like me. Last week, a little over a week ago, we had eight straight days where we never saw the freezing temperature. So it is good to be in Southern California. Whatever problems you may think you have in your region or your state, never forget that weather is not one of them compared to most of the rest of us. Delighted to be here with you. I have the opportunity to see my older brother and his uh, wife and some of their boys who live over in neighboring Bellflower, and to see uh, and be a part of uh, pastors' retreat in the coming days. To meet with uh, the executive committee of our encompass board a couple days ago. Alan Weisenberger, whom many of you know, serves well on that, and grateful for his participation in what we're doing as a mission agency. So glad to be here. Grateful for the invitation. From Pastor Mike, uh, not only to be here on this special day as we celebrate the ministry of Patty Morris for 40 years in France, uh, supported by this church, um, but grateful for the opportunity to speak in the worship services today. I've known uh, Mike for probably a dozen years, and uh, before that, uh, Ed Trenner, who was a pastor here uh, several decades before that. I want you to know that uh, Pastor Mike is a gift to our fellowship of churches not only to this church but to our fellowship of churches Uh, the things that he emphasizes uh, the importance of the scriptures the centrality of the gospel commitment to the great commission christian living the local church these things matter and you are blessed to have someone in a team of leaders who give this kind of emphasis as someone who has served recently in pastoral ministry I want you to know you shouldn't take that for granted, and thank God as you work with them and support them as they lead his church here. Grace Church of Orange has been a wonderful partner uh, with Encompass World Partners for many, many years, in fact, decades. Encompass World Partners is the cross-cultural mission arm of the Karis Fellowship. This church is one of 230 or so churches here in North America and one of several thousand churches around the world. Uh, where we align with biblical truth, relationships, and mission to take uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ to our world. And these things are important and needed in the world in which we live. Uh, I've been in this role as executive director for all of one year. As I tell many people, one year is long enough to know what you've gotten yourself into, but not long enough to know what you're doing. So I would appreciate your prayers. Delighted to serve our fellowship of churches and churches like this as we pursue The Great Commission. Uh, This church has supported a number of Encompass workers, uh, some of whom are with us today. Patty Morris, I mentioned, Ted and Kaylin Offit were mentioned as well, serving in church planting training and several decades in Asia, Central Asia and Southeast Asia. Uh, Tom and Marianne Barlow is the name you would know. Marianne's working in mobilization and recruitment. You've partnered with us on certain initiatives. Thank you on behalf of Encompass for the link, the partnership that we have in our common mission together. We are about spreading the knowledge and glory of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations, especially the least reached. And we're committed to doing so through evangelism, disciple-making, church planting, and the training of leaders. These things are important to the heart of God and important to us. Let me give you a little infomercial here. We have about 20 of these available a hot off the press and Compass World Partners prayer guide, a great way for you to practically invest in the Great Commission. There are some great ways to pray scripture uh, over uh, our ministries, partnerships, and people, um, and to see the heart of God here. And then, of course, you see uh, in the middle of this all kinds of names and faces, some of which you may recognize. We count on your prayers. So uh, leaf through this uh, right outside here at the table. Uh, but if you take one, you're making a commitment, at least between you and God, that you would pray for our common work together. Uh, we have some other resources uh, related to uh, mission teams, and to those who are thinking about uh, deployment overseas, be happy to make those available to you as well. Grace Church of Orange, well done in your Great Commission partnership. My message today is entitled The Gospel and the Great Commission. And our central passage is in Romans 1. Pastor Mike just read that. I'd invite you to turn there if you're not there already. And as you do so, I want to ask you this question. What would be the ultimate good news to you in 2024? Or maybe right now. What in your mind would radically change or alter your life for the good? What's a changed reality or circumstance that you right now, or as you look at this next year, long to experience. I have four children, ages 24 down to 16, one married, uh, two boys in college, and uh, my little sweet girl at home still. If I asked them in 2024 what that would be, I'm convinced they would all have an answer. They're at the beginning of life still looking at all kinds of vistas and imagining what would make their life great. Maybe even this year. What would make yours? Let me give you some possibilities that might come to mind. Maybe it's financial independence. You know, lottery winners make great case studies. One lottery winner a few years ago said after learning that she had just won, it's just a pipe dream that I've always had. First thing I want to do is sit back and relax. Does that sound good to any of you? Would that change your 2024 All the fears and anxieties and effort in life that that finances require would just evaporate and you could sit back and relax. Financial windfall probably sounds like good news to some of you. Is that the ultimate good news in 2024? Maybe it's good health. Maybe you think that if only your health was improved, if your cancer was cured, if your weight was ideal, if your genes were different. That would be the ultimate good news in 2024. It's easy, for instance, if you go at the beginning of life for a teenager to think if I had a different complexion or body or face, that would transform life. Toward the end of life, it would be easy to think that if I had picture-perfect health like I had back in the day, that would be the ultimate good news. It's easy for a woman to think if she had a better figure, or a man to think if he had more hair or less gut, that would revolutionize life. Would it? What about the perfect relationship or at least a good one? If you had a good relationship with your spouse or your child or your friend, then life's ideal would be realized. That would be great news in 2024. Maybe it's a friendship with someone of your same life stage and gender. Maybe it's a spouse who, if they would only just be the version that you wanted to marry, that would be great news. What's great news to you today? Today we're going to examine what the ultimate good news is according to the Bible, and we're going to find out that that good news is more timely and vital than anything else in the world in which we live. For that good news, the Bible calls the gospel. And put succinctly, we're going to say this morning that the gospel is urgently good news for the world, or it's hardly good news at all. The gospel is urgently good news for the world, or it's hardly good news at all. Hopefully you have Romans 1 open there, and when you think of Paul's letter to the Romans, let me ask you, what do you think? How would you summarize the purpose of this letter? How would you summarize the passion of Paul's heart? What is Paul seeking when he is writing to the citizens of the capital of the known world? For many people, they think of the book of Romans, and this is a biblically literate, taught, well-taught church. They think of it as a grand theological treatise. They think of it as a letter of sound salvation doctrine. But let me propose to you this morning, what if we discovered that Romans is actually a missionary letter? about the good news to the nations, with all kinds of good gospel theology packed in the middle. I would submit to you this morning that that's exactly what Romans is. Today I want to explore with you the opening prologue or passage in Romans, perhaps the greatest letter ever written, and I want to do so by asking four questions that are either found in or fueled by what we read in the text. Here are those questions. Number one, what is the gospel? Number two, what is the great commission? Number three, who is Paul and who are we? And number four, what does a church comprised of ambassadors and witnesses look like we'll start with the first one what is the gospel and spend a lot of our time there and progressively speed up though every one of these is important For paul leads with this as he writes his letter to the romans as we dive in let's remind ourselves who paul is writing to these are citizens of that capital he's introducing himself to a church that he had neither founded nor visited but he was hoping to And on the front and back end of this letter, chapter 1, chapter 16, this grand treatise on the gospel, Paul highlights his missionary purposes. Paul was a missionary theologian. Paul wasn't inspired by doctrine for its own sake. He wasn't captivated by true theology for its own sake, though he valued both of them. He was captivated for the sake of the nations. Paul was passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ for the world. Question number one, what is the gospel? There are a lot of ways to summarize the gospel. Perhaps you've heard or said some of them. Perhaps the easiest one for me to remember, and one that we talked a lot about in my pastoral ministry, is this one with four words. God, man, Christ, response. God, man, Christ, response. Number one, God. God created each one of us in his own image. We are loved by him and we are accountable to him, God. Man or humanity. Each and every one of us has rebelled against God, starting with Adam and Eve. And because of that, each of us rightfully stands under the judgment of God. God, man, Christ. Through Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, God has intervened on our behalf. And through who Jesus is and what He's done for us, God offers us salvation in Christ and all the benefits that come with it. Forgiveness of sin, new life in Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit, eternity with Him. Whereas we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Him, Jesus Christ, is no uh, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that we might in him become the righteousness of God. God, man, Christ, response. The good news demands a response from each of us. And the appropriate response according to the Bible is what's called repentance and faith. Repentance is a turning from the dead end of our own way and turning to... Faith or trust in Jesus Christ, who has acted on our behalf. God, man, Christ, your son. One of the ways that you can summarize the gospel. The gospel doesn't make sense without any of those aspects. It can certainly be described more comprehensively than that, but not less so. This is the biblical storyline that goes through the Bible. And one thing stands at the center, which we'll see in our text in a moment. As we seek to answer that first and primary question, what is the gospel? Our passage here gives us multiple keys. Keep your eyes peeled there in Romans chapter one. The first thing that we see in answer to that question is the gospel has been predicted and unwrapped throughout the Bible. Through the content and history in the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, we see that story. Verse two, the gospel, he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. From deep in the Old Testament, the gospel is forecasted. You look at Genesis chapter 3, 15, verse 15, on the heels of the fall of Adam and Eve, and it's forecasted that God will strike back. God is not caught flat footed by the fall. God didn't see Adam and Eve sin and say, oh my, my plan's gone awry, what do I do now? No. God knew all along and is planning the gospel. Chapter 12 of Genesis, God comes to Abraham and selects him and says, go with me for I will bless you so that you can be a blessing. God is forecasting the gospel. We go to the prophets where all over we see these hints and uh, and telling of the gospel to come. Isaiah chapter 53 where we read about how God would strike back against the damage of sin. If we go all the way toward the end of the Bible, Hebrews 1, 1, looking back at the Old Testament, the author writes, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. If we go right to the middle, the Hebrew songbook, Psalms, chapter 67, the nations are called to know and praise the one true God. Let the nations be glad the psalmist says. The dilemma of the Old Testament is not the lack of evidence for God's gospel story. The dilemma is the lack of vision, the lack of receptivity, the lack of heart to receive it. Jesus said so when he's walking with several of his disciples after his resurrection, Luke chapter 24. All of a sudden, their eyes are enlightened and they realize, as Jesus tells them, All of this has been predicted. I am the fulfillment and culmination of what God has been doing. Don't you see it? You should. The gospel, in other words, is not an afterthought of God. He didn't throw it together as a remedy. God has been planning this all along. Second thing we see in answer to the question, what is the gospel, is that it is centered on a person. More than only affirming truths, we embrace a person in the gospel concerning regarding his son, verse 3. A historical person stands there. As one New Testament scholar writes, Doug Moo, God is at the heart, or Jesus is at the heart of the gospel. Jesus is the promised Messiah of Israel, the son of God, the Lord. It's what Jesus has done as well as who he is that makes the gospel the good news that it is. The gospel of Jesus Christ involves a person. God intervenes through a person. That's why in our circles, in our churches, we always need to be vigilant about how we view the word of God and the Son of God, both essential, both which point to each other. But the message of the gospel is that the word of God leads us to see the Son of God for who he is. It's not the word that we worship, It is the Son to whom the Word points. Jesus had to take pains to allow the religious leaders of His day to see this. Jesus was speaking with the Pharisees in the Gospel of John, chapter 5. And after a long monologue that became more and more uncomfortable for the religious leaders, Jesus ended by saying this to them. John 5, 37, And the Father who sent me, he said, has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form. Nor does his word dwell in you, he said to the Pharisees, for you do not believe the one he sent. They were none too pleased to hear that. They were the experts. They were those who were right with God in their eyes in the day. Jesus went on to say in verse 39, You study or search the scriptures diligently because you think that in them, in the scriptures, you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Now to be clear, in no way was Jesus reducing the essential authority of the word of God. The Bible is absolutely essential. But what Jesus was doing was highlighting the role of the Scriptures. The Word of God points to the Son of God who embodies the Gospel of God. Let me say that again. The Word of God points to the Son of God who embodies, who is the Gospel of God. The Gospel is ultimately about a person. We couldn't know Jesus without the Word, but the point of the Word is to point to Jesus. Just as we wouldn't want to miss the forest for the trees... We cannot miss the person in the word. third thing we see in answer to that question, what is the gospel? The person at the heart of the gospel is the God-man, Jesus Christ. Speaking of Jesus, who as to his human nature, as to his flesh, according to the flesh, a descendant of David, who according to the spirit of, or through the spirit of holiness, was declared or appointed with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Paul is, is setting up this juxtaposition, this parallel uh, of two true things about Jesus. He's talking about flesh and spirit, the son of David, the son of God. He implies weakness. He speaks of power. One of the most stunning and succinct portrayals of the nature of Jesus Christ here. Some may think that this is primarily a contrast between the human nature of Jesus and the divine nature. Jesus was uh, human, son of David. He was divine, son of God. Well, that's certainly true. Jesus is fully human, fully divine, one person, two natures. The Bible teaches this. But perhaps Paul's saying something a bit deeper, a, a bit different here that according to the flesh and according to the spirit are not primarily referring to the two natures of Jesus, human and divine, but according or about the two stages of his ministry, pre-resurrection and post-resurrection. The, the humiliation of Jesus, who lived in the flesh like we did or we do, and the exaltation of Jesus post-resurrection shown with power, to be the Son of God, and given the authority by the Father. Our age, the age that is passing because of Jesus' coming, is fading away. And there's an age to come that we've not yet fully realized that we anticipate. And you and I are the hors d'oeuvre, we're the foretaste of what God will do ultimately and is already doing in those who know King Jesus. See, the resurrection changed everything. The resurrection allowed God to publicly show Jesus for who He is and to give Him authority over heaven and earth for all to see. Now Jesus is not only the promised Messiah, the Jews were looking for that, but He's the reigning Lord, and the Gentiles would pay attention to. He's the Lord not only of the cosmic universe, but He's the Lord, the master of each one who bends the knee in submission to him. Fourth and finally, in answer to the question, what is the gospel? The crucified and resurrected Messiah is now something more. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Since the resurrection, since this new stage of history, humanity, especially Gentiles, are without excuse. Paul speaks to some of them when he's in the city of Athens. You might remember the story in Acts chapter 17, Paul comes to the intelligentsia, the learned ones of that great city. And he begins to describe to them the biblical worldview, the Christian worldview that culminates in Jesus Christ. And at the end of that, that monologue, he says to them, In the past God overlooked such ignorance, referring to idolatry, but now he commands every, all people everywhere to repent. Who's excluded from all people everywhere. That's right, no one. For he, God, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Speaking of Jesus, he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Humanity, Paul says, take note. And you Romans, take note. It's all about Jesus. Jesus embodies the gospel. Jesus A human historical figure is the Messiah to whom the Jews were looking and the Lord of heaven and earth for the Gentiles. Jesus is at the center. There is no other message in our world that is truly good news. It is the gospel. And any gospel, any good news that purports to be good, that doesn't place Jesus at the center is an empty and false gospel. And will not meet the need and the hopes that we have. No wonder then that Paul elsewhere could describe why Jesus is at the center of it all, like he does in Philippians 2. Just listen who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Jesus is at the center of the gospel. Second question. What is the Great Commission? We see this outlined in part of verse 5. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Many Christians, many churchgoers for that matter, would hear a phrase like the Great Commission and associate it with one passage and for good reason. But the Great Commission wasn't a one-time, offhand remark of Jesus when he was giving final instructions to his disciples. It wasn't like when you're leaving the house as a young adult and mom or dad has a barrage of things that they need to tell you that you won't remember most of them but are important for them to say. No, the Great Commission for Jesus runs throughout his ministry and throughout we will see even the scriptures. The Great Commission is the culmination of the biblical story. It's been building in the Old Testament. It is expressed in the early church acts. It's pronounced in the gospel accounts where Jesus is with his disciples. It's summarized in the letters and we see it right here. And the bulk of verse 5 is the key. Much of Romans is Paul's explanation of what he means by what he writes in verse 5. To call all the Gentiles... The nations, to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Friends, the Great Commission is not a statement or a suggestion or a story. It's a calling and a command. Paul calls all those who follow Jesus Christ to the nations to call them to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Directly, specifically, there to respond with the obedience of faith, the obedience that comes from faith. That little phrase there is one that has uh, required a a lot of investigation. Uh, What exactly is Paul referring to with the obedience of faith or the obedience that comes from faith? Paul describes it in Romans chapter 1. He says it again in Romans chapter 16. It's a notable expression here. What does this mean? The scriptures teach that the appropriate, the essential response to the gospel, to the good news, is faith. Trusting in Jesus Christ for what he has accomplished on our behalf through his life, death, and resurrection. And it's that trust alone that God requires for salvation. The finished work, after all, wasn't done by you and by me. It was done by Jesus But there's also a pervasive teaching throughout the Bible that genuine faith results in obedience. That's why in one translation it's expressed like this, the obedience that comes from faith. Martin Luther hundreds of years ago said this, well, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Obedience is the fruit Of faith. I I believe that's what Paul envisions here. Again, a New Testament scholar says Paul saw his task as calling men and women to the submission of the Lordship of Christ, a submission that began with conversion, but which was to continue in a deepening lifelong commitment. We call that the Christian life, life with Christ. And that obedience is always closely related to faith. Faith as an initial decisive step and faith as an ongoing relationship with Christ. I like to say it this way. The gospel begins with our empty hands and is lived with our open hands. We come to God with nothing to offer for our salvation and we live the Christian life offering whatever He gives us. See, faith leads inevitably, to a lifetime of obedience. Paul's desire in his Great Commission ministry is not simply the conversion of people, but the transformation of lives lived in glad obedience to God. Jesus comes as a whole package. He alters life, and he transforms it. And that gospel message is for the whole world. It's for all the nations. The gospel, the good news, is never meant to be hoarded See, if we hoard good news, we are inexpressibly selfish. Or if we don't believe that the news is good, then we're reluctant to pass it on to others. Imagine if you would, that uh, there was a pervasive disease that was terminal for everyone, and you had found out, in fact, you had embraced the cure, and it had changed your life. To what lengths would you go to make others aware of that cure? To what sacrifices would you go, would you make, so that they could share in what you have? Our response to the good news reflects our delight in the good news. Paul writes in verse 6, And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Translation, Paul says, You Romans are part of those Gentiles too, and you're carriers now. You as believers in a local church have received the gospel so that you can go with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? What is the Great Commission? Third question, who is Paul and who are we? Go back to the beginning, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Following his resurrection, Jesus appointed his disciples, certain disciples, to be apostles, to bear witness, to be sent ones to the ends of the earth. And Paul got his special uh, uh, personal time with Jesus on the road to Damascus, where Jesus called him to faith in him and commissioned him to be his tip of the spear messenger to the Gentiles. Paul summarizes then here The effect of that encounter and of his commissioning to represent Jesus. He uses two words. First of all, that he is a servant. A servant expresses something of personal insignificance. A servant doesn't generally have rights. A servant has generally been purchased and stands at the beck and call of his master. A servant doesn't have the right to determine his or her own priorities or his or her own direction in life. A servant belongs to the master, and Paul said, and that is me, and that is you. On the other hand, Paul was also an apostle of Jesus Christ, which was a great authority that he had been given. He is on mission, an ambassador representing Jesus Christ, personally appointed by the king. Paul's saying to the Romans here, I've embraced it, I'm living it out, and it's the message of my life and my lips, the good news. ...to the nations. Through him, verse 5, we received grace and apostleship. Who's we? You can make a good case that Paul may have especially been talking about that small group of apostles... ...designated by Jesus Christ himself to be sent with the gospel. But as we read through the Bible and the New Testament... ...you can also make a good case that we is more than that. That we includes you and I... That we are called as ambassadors to be sent with the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations. Because the good news is not only meant to go to you, the good news is meant to go through you and me as well. The question is, does your life show that? Does my life show that? Do our lips bear witness to that? Because it's not our good news. It's not something that Paul crafted or something that we made up or a mythical hope that we invent. God Himself is the source and the goal of the good news. God is the origin. He's the destination of the good news. And our role, our purpose, is to proclaim to people the good news so that they might believe, trust, have faith, which leads to a life of obedience. The highest call we have In the gospel to the nations isn't the lostness of people, however real and desperate that is. It's not obedience to Jesus Christ, however true and important that is. It's our own personal zeal for the glory of God that He alone deserves. And that we invite, indeed, command others to recognize in Him. What is the gospel? What is the Great Commission. Who is Paul and who are we? And finally, what does a church full of ambassadors and witnesses look like? Paul writes there at the end of this opening prologue, verse 7, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be His holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul makes clear that the good news of the gospel is for the nation's. Not just Jews like him, but for the Gentiles scattered around the world and through time before Jesus comes back. And Paul knows that as it says in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9, one day all the nations will be represented there. And Paul was commissioned by Jesus Christ to be a sent one so that the nations would be there. In ways similar and not so similar to Paul, you and I are also commissioned by Jesus Christ to be ambassadors with that same good news in the place and time in which we live. Paul says, the gospel's good news for you Gentiles. He says, the gospel's good news for you Romans. And I'm convinced if Paul was here, he'd say, the gospel is great news for the people of Orange, the people of Southern California in 2024 to take to the world. To be called into Jesus' family is to be called into Jesus' mission. There is no opt-out clause. There are no exceptions. To belong is to be sent by Jesus. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for us? Let me leave you, as we close, with some recommendations, some invitations, Consistent with what Paul writes, number one, by your own example, personally, family, a group you're a part of, be a people who prays for the spiritual needs of the nations, for the people groups of our world. Strange things happen when people pray for what is near and dear to the heart of God. Strange and wonderful things happen when people pray for peoples in our world. whom we have access that's why i so encourage you to leaf through and pick up one of these and pray alone and with others for what god is doing through others in the world number two don't wait for your pastors to find places for your great commission involvement ask them for opportunities and come with possibilities I can say this with pastoral experience. There's nothing better than someone who says, Pastor, I would like to do this or initiate that and to be able to say, that's a fantastic idea. You have my blessing. I doubt that if you want greater involvement in the Great Commission, that your pastors will say anything otherwise. Number three, seek ways as a family Seek ways as a church to increase your investment in the Great Commission, even financial investment. You may have noticed in our world the opportunities to spend money are limitless. The opportunities to invest money for eternity are priceless. In God's own economy, when we hold our resources with an open hand, God more than cares for us and increases our joy. Pray, take initiative, increase investment, and fourth and finally, encourage the missionary staff that you have, and look around this church and ask, who might God send? And how might I help them go? One of the greatest challenges in our age is not finances, and it's not opportunities. It's people willing to go because their lives don't belong to them and they say, God, here I am. Use, maybe send me. Encompass is glad to partner with churches like this one to say, as we together pursue the Great Commission, do you have some choice servants who are gifted, who are shaped, and who are willing to go cross-culturally with the gospel? I'm convinced there are people here and I'd love to know who so that we can partner in sending. The gospel, John Sott writes, the good news is the gospel of God about Christ according to the scriptures for the nations unto the obedience of faith for the sake of the name, the name of God. The gospel is urgently good news for the world or it's hardly good news at all. And I'm here to say this morning, it's great news. Psalm 67 says this, May the God, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us so that your ways, O God, may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you that your glory is worth all that we can give and all that we can live. We thank you that you in your grace and mercy have come to us and offered us a salvation we don't deserve, that good news, not for 2024, but for all of life and eternity has come. Thank you for opening our eyes and softening our hearts so that we might receive what we desperately need and thank you for how that changes our lives god make us a people brothers and sisters in your family a church in orange a network a fellowship of churches that is passionate and persistent and joyous about your good news for the nations in the time you give us help us with delight to pursue what matters to you we love you in jesus name we pray amen
0: Amen. If you're able, would you stand and join as we close singing? Come, Thou Fount, and come Thou Fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing Thy praise. Streams of mercy, never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above Through the mountain, fixed upon it, mount of
1: God, Mike, thank you for preaching today, and uh, a couple things before we go. Uh, we rejoice in new life. God grants as a gift, praising God with uh, Kirsten and Samuel Anselmo as they welcomed Josiah David on Thursday, the 25th, at ten twenty p.m., 7 pounds, 15 ounces, 20 inches long, and uh, praise God for that new baby, and lots of missions opportunities to support and to go Uh, We have over 15 summer opportunities we've identified. There's more than that. Info at the missions table. Uh, The Homes of Hope February team, uh, they're going the 16th to the 18th. Please consider donating to that outreach. Please talk to uh, Glenn Perry and Chris Clark. They have a considerable amount of money still to raise. Also, uh, pray for Bethany Ma and Ashley Ortlip as they serve in Pretoria, South Africa, at the baby home there. Uh, You can join their prayer team as well. Uh, Fieldhouse. Uh, project progress uh, continues on, so you'll be seeing a lot of that. And uh, to get information about grace, you have to send a card that we give out. Also, you can sign up for the uh, emails we send on Tuesday and Friday uh, with the QR code there. And today's a big deal because we have a missionary celebration, 40 years celebration. We're not really a retirement party because Patty continues to serve as we all should uh, every day that God grants us. So 1230, make sure you're there on time. We're starting with lunch, and then we'll have a number of presentations that you won't want to miss. All right, we're going to close with Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And Lord, we thank you that we've been able to be here. and We pray and hear your word and sing your praises. Uh, send us now by your grace for your glory with the gospel to the nations. And we pray in Christ's name, Amen.
0: Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor, with me in the calm, with me. In